wanted to create a framework that would tie player motivations to these game features and then understand which individual features and mechanics drive certain player motivations. How would you like to play games for a living? Hello and welcome to Mobile Heroes Uncensored. My name is John Gutier and our co-host, of course, is the amazing, the wonderful Peggy Ann Saltz. They were chatting with somebody who is also kind of amazing, also kind of wonderful. It's somebody who plays games for a living. And I'm not talking about like a beta tester that plays the same game again and again and again over and over until it's basically work. I'm talking about somebody who plays lots of games, professionally played 500 games, over 500 games, actually. Peggy, who is this person? Well, he's got to be a great games fan, John. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) We have Joel Yulkinen. He's head of game analytics at Game Refinery by Vungle. Game Refinery, of course, by Vungle provides feature-level analytics, market insights, and benchmarks to the mobile gaming industry. We've talked about that before on the show as well. Now, Joel, our guest today, he leads the analytics department and has significant role in developing the algorithms and the statistical models used by the company. He's been playing games, yes, over 500 of them, ever since he could hold an 8-bit controller. Whatever that is, don't quiz me. He'll tell us all about it because he loves it so much. So he's getting paid to test games. It's a dream career. And Joel has also built up a stockpile of the do's and don'ts marketers need to know, as well as the trends today in the mobile game market. So he's going to come here. He's here with us speaking about the trends and above all, the 12 gamer motivations. Great to have you, Joel. Thanks, Peggy. Great to be here. So what is that controller, I have to ask? I just have to ask. Yeah, okay, go for it. (laughs) I got to know what it is. NES 8-bit, so the first Nintendo console that hit at least Finland back in like 1989 or 1990. So all the Super Mario Brothers and and those. So one of the first kind of commercially successful consoles that took over the world back in the day. Nice, nice. So let's talk about understanding player likes and dislikes, their wants, their needs. Obviously, that's really critical if you're building a game, right? Um, you can see what people are doing in your app. You can see you surveys. You can ask questions, all that stuff. You've developed an entire framework. Why? Yeah, good question. Um, player motivations, uh, I think, have been in the focus of research for a long time. And uh, we do have several different taxonomies floating around that space, um, even before us couple of decades before us that kind of try to depict the nuances of player motivations inside the gaming industry. But then uh, we noticed that when we start working with ours is that none of these kind of taxonomies that were currently in the market were aimed purely for mobile games. And of course, we, as we know, mobile games are very different from PC and console world. And of course, as we in Game Refinery, we specialize in analyzing game features and mechanics of mobile games. We wanted to create a framework that would tie player motivations to these game features and then understand which individual features and mechanics drive certain player motivations. And I think, in my opinion, our solution is very fitting and easy to understand for anybody who kind of takes a look at it. It's an actionable framework, especially aimed for the mobile game industry, as I said, with special focus on on linking these motivations to game features and mechanics. Now, your model 
you don't just talk about that linkage. You have developed the motivational drivers and covering each one of them, you know, covering a player root motivation. So you've basically come up with a taxonomy for the human race, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> as far as games are concerned. As far as games Maybe are concerned. Maybe not true although love they are, they... mean, but... <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they do describe us as people. Some of them are pretty cool. But before we go into them, I have to ask the question, why only 12? Yeah, we get that a lot. So is, is 12 like the defining number of human motivations? Well, um, actually, the results of how we ended up with 12 motivation drivers is, is a result of a lot of statistical analysis, surveys, data sampling that we did uh, when we started creating this taxonomy. In essence, these 12 motivation drivers are the ones we found out have meaningful link to mobile games and their features and the reasons why player, players told us why they play certain games or why they avoid playing some other ones. And it, it was basically just kind of a finding a, a suitable number of these motivation drivers that are enough to cover the whole human motivation uh, spectrum well enough while still being kind of understandable and not being too fragmented or having kind of overlapping set of factors. And of course, we understand that no taxonomy or model can perfectly catch every single nuance of human or player motivations. Um, but I think our, our approach through the past years, we have been using it or and our clients have been using it. It has proven itself to be a flexible and it works really well on an individual game level and also at scale. Key takeaway, Peggy, not a 12-step program. Yes, 12-step program <laughs> and it scales. What would you want more? We will talk about it because thankfully you have grouped the 12 into some groups that we can talk about, into some pairs. But can you at least name the 12, list them? Yeah, of course. For example, uh, we have social motivations. We have two different ones like working with others or then competing against others. Then in kind of mastery, so being able to master something, getting some enjoyment out of that, we have kind of improving your playing skills, uh, becoming a better player, or then kind of completing milestones or so reaching certain thresholds in the game, like level up in your character or whatever. Then we have certain management motivations like strategic planning or then resource optimization, which is very much the kind of key thing in many of the strategy games. Then we can jump to expression motivations where we have a, like a role playing and emotions, like immerse, immersing yourself to the game, being able to be somebody else uh, while playing. Or then we have this kind of uh, customization and decoration expression, expression motivation, meaning that some people want to decorate their building or their character and, and show it off to other players. Uh, and then we do have like exploration, so discovering new worlds, but also collecting treasure. And then the last two, we have kind of base motivations, like other one is kind of escapism, thinking and solving, meaning that you kind of like working out puzzles, for example, or of doing things slowly. And then on, on the other hand, on the same kind of family, we have the excitement and thrill. So maybe you want to uh, shoot stuff, getting that kind of adrenaline spike, or you want to play like poker games or, or slots games just to get the thrill of winning, for example. So to quickly run through uh, all of those 12, those basically were those, but of course, each one of them can be then kind of discussed in more detail. It's almost like I want to see player profiles. I want to see 
personality profiles from that. I, I want the Myers-Briggs of <laughs> mobile games, right? Where do you fit? What do you like? That is really, really interesting. Personally, I hate puzzle games. I solve a lot of problems in my ordinary life, in my work life. And when I when I have downtime, I want to chill and <laughs> shoot stuff, <laughs> right? So that'd be interesting to just see different player profiles. Peggy, we should get tested. We, I'm, I'm legit saying this right now. We should totally get tested one of these days and just go through it and see which ones we are. And then we can have a Myers-Briggs personality profile based on which mobile games you like. I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost serious about this. <laughs> well, I think I gave him an idea, John, actually, if you think about I know, it, you know, how I know. to find out which one what you are. What kind of gamer are you? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this would be huge. It'd be incredible. Brings me back to Probably my uh, women's magazines. You know, what kind of date are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, is there a women's magazine for mobile gamers? Maybe. <laughs> oh, God. We'll figure it out. Okay, let's talk about this jigsaw puzzle. Let's talk about these 12. So you can model what's going on in a game, and maybe we can even start to model what kind of gamers there are. What's kind of the accuracy rate? You know, how are marketers and developers using this? We have mentioned a couple of times that this kind of hit game jigsaw puzzle that you have to have you have to understand several factors in the, in the big puzzle that is making a hit mobile game, for instance. And with our combined data sets of game feature trends and features and data, together with our play motivation and archetype data, um, our user of service users get a very good view on not only what is trending and working in the current mobile game space, but also why your players stick to your game or move on to another one. And if there are certain motivation drivers, your game is not at the moment answering to you, but could be with the right feature changes. In other words, we help game developers and game companies to create better and more enjoyable games for their audiences by basically increasing their knowledge and understanding of not only the games and their mechanics, but also the players. And you asked about accuracy rate or hit rate, at least based on our clients' results, the results that they have gotten using our data, it's, it's really, really, really good. Of course, it's always hard to define that if you have like a motivational profile for a game that is it let's say that you estimate that you have a 78 percent players of your player base being like let's say expressionist players it's hard to say if the right answer is is like 78 percent or 72 percent of what it is but but looking at the kind of big picture so i'm really confident in our accuracy and so have been our clients excellent I want to stay with that big picture for a moment. Let's look at like the various stages of game development and where you can apply the motivational groups. You know, you're, you're marketing to match personas. You're also developing products to match personas. Where is what you're providing the most valuable? How can marketers, but also developers use it? Where in that game development continuum is it the most valuable? I would say that Player motivation should be um, considered in all of the stages of mobile game uh, development. As we all know, mobile games are like fluid products. They are not static that once it's ready, then it's kind of done because you, you have to think about your um, feature roadmap uh, months and years ahead. Think about what kind of new stuff you're bringing to the gamers to keep them um, kind of uh, enjoying your game. So. Of course, play motivations and understanding your player archetypes or your audience archetypes is especially crucial when you kind of start prototyping and, and mapping the markets. And it's a kind of a, uh, how lucrative certain subgenre, for example, what you need to think about when you create the first blueprints of, of the game. But then moving on, when the game is launched, when you uh, 
start the uh, marketing campaigns, you have to understand what drives your players and what kind of creatives like ads you want to create. And then also we have a lot of data about that, how important it is to link the motivations that you communicate through the ads that they match your actual game. So also working that the game teams work together with the uh, marketing teams as a kind of seamless couple. And then when your game is already live and maturing and you're uh, kind of ramping up the live ops, it still remains a very, very important part. Uh, understanding what kind of live events you're going you're gonna to run or create. Are they able to uh, attract new types of players to your game through new types of motivation drivers? For instance, if you want to uh, you have a casual match game that doesn't usually, or let's say that those games don't usually kind of have take the competitive motivations as the main drivers. But many of we have seen this trend that com competition and competitive elements are rising as a motivation. So now we can see that many maturing match three games are driving more and more competitive events. So they are not changing the laid back casual nature of match three games, but they are using these live ops event, a kind of limited time events to give kind of a small tastes of competition to the player base that they have identified that also likes competition. So really, really long answer, but it's really important in all stages of the game development and its life cycle, but maybe with a bit different angle in all of those, all of those spaces. But we can have another podcast about that. I'm really happy to uh, <laughs> discuss I think those. we'll need one. I think we'll yeah. need one, but that's a great segue actually, because we're seeing more of these crossover type games, right? Where there's multiple types of, I don't want to say core loops because you kind of have one core loop, but there's multiple loops in there. And that not only appeals to different types of gamers, but also it kind of honors what you were talking about earlier, where, you know, I might be a 65% shoot 'em up type of gamer, but sometimes I like to solve a few puzzles and I could build a few of those things. Are you seeing that more and more? And is maybe that kind of a result of people thinking about these types of player motivations? Yeah, I think you hit the nail in the head. Usually what we found out is that many players have kind of different motivation patterns. Sometimes you might want to play those shooting games or and you know like like the puzzle solving because you have to do that a lot of in your days. But there are a lot, a lot of other motivation drivers that can be kind of secondary motivations to you. And it's the key thing is for the developers and game companies and marketers to find what are the kind of hidden motivations or maybe kind of secondary motivations of, of their player bases. And then for example with the different kind of live ops and live events, they can start adding more those motivation drivers to their games and not only like um, um, drive the re-engagement of their current base, kind of triggering their secondary motivation, but also attracting new audiences. A good example of this might be like a couple of years ago, um, Match 3 Space, like I, it's already like four years ago. Anyways, um, uh, playwrights games like Homescapes, Gardenscapes, they started to track Candy Crushes and, and, and King's hegemony by introducing these kind of meta layers to the games that you customize your garden or you build up your mansion or your parents' mansion, meaning that they started to kind of bring more of these expression motivations to the table because they had probably identified that many of the players that play these mastery games also like to play this kind of decorative, you know, games. Um, that was the first. And the second wave was Project Makeover a couple of years ago. No, it's kind of the same thing. They brought up the kind of expression customization, like fashion 
meta layer to the game because they again they saw that hey there's a kind of overlap between these genres and, and how the players what they like to do and now we are seeing a bit the same with this kind of competitive like i mentioned earlier the competitive aspects in match three games that hey many of the players who play these games like a small amount of co competition every now and then and now we are for the past year we've seen seeing these top match trees introducing more and more competitive events so it's like adding some flavor with new motivation drivers to for example live events that seems to be a really winning recipe but at the same time not um, unbalancing or kind of alienating your current base by kind of mixing the game too much mm -hmm. like we don't want to see probably well, esports homes games uh, <laughs> no we don't <laughs> Yeah, maybe we do. Yeah, maybe no, that's say probably does. <laughs> There's always one. Six months from now, we're gonna see some PUBG match three, and it's gonna break the market. That's so, really interesting, yeah. actually, because it also kind of parallels a bit of a change over time, away from the hyper hyper casual. You know, the game where you acquire a player, they play for a few days or a week, you make your money back, and you keep consistently churning that audience and churning that. It's, I mean, uh, that's harder and harder to do, at least on iOS right now, right? Targeting the right people and making that economics work. And so making your game a little more complex, adding layers to it uh, makes it more attractive, but also makes it a larger property that people stay in longer, can do more. Uh, adds retention. I might be getting into your question here, Peggy. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, know, I was going to skip to another one, actually, John, because now you got me going. Go for it. <laughs> I, got, I have to do it because, you know, hidden motivations, boy, I hear that. That's exciting. So it's 12 motivations, but there's hidden ones, maybe like the 35 flavors, like Baskin Robbins here. I don't know. Oh, wow. Baskin yeah. Robbins. I want yeah, some ice cream. Well, it's hot here, John. <laughs> so I'm obviously thinking about ice cream after this. No, but, but seriously, there's a lot going going on there. And when you talk about how we can view this, one thing is about understanding the player motivation. But to your point, John, you could even start to think up subgenres and even predict the next thing in gaming, you know, maybe it is that esports plus homescapes. What does that do there, Joel? I'm just curious, how can they be applied to predict the next big thing? Yeah, predicting the future is always hard, as, as we Come know. Come on, uh, <laughs> yeah, Making a prediction is not hard. Getting it right might be a bit harder. Anyways, yeah. yeah um, if, for example, we with our data sets of the features, and, and uh, we can follow how features are trending inside different genres and in the mobile game markets. And on the, on the other hand, we can also see that when these games are adding these new mechanics and new meta layers, for example, and changing the games little by little, we start to see feature trends. And as we have tied those to the kind of motivations, we can also see little by little motivational uh, shifts. And the, a good example would be this competition, um, rise of the competitive aspects that I mentioned. We started to see the first signs to kind of bump in the, that motivation and, and its amount in, in especially casual games in like, I would say 18 months ago or so. And I would say that even I, if I said that having the kind of right prediction is hard, but if you have the right data at your disposal, it's that much easier because you can start to, they don't have, happen usually like overnight. We have some exceptions to the rule like Pokemon Go, for example, back in the day or, or stuff like that. But usually these shifts, start little by little. I, I mean that if you follow certain genres for a couple of months, 
and you start to see the increase of like competitive new live events or features and then you start to kind of as we have it on scale we have a dozens and dozens of match trees or hundreds of match trees under scope then we can see these patterns and if you are one of the first ones to pick up with these and you start to see the attraction then that, that's of course how you beat the market and how you can be the forerunner in this uh, extremely competitive space so it's hard but our data at least helps you to do it right that's actually a really good segue uh, because if somebody wants to dig deeper into these 12 motivations where can they do that how can they do that we have, a, of course, if you look into our service, uh, gamerefinery.com, you can create a free account. You can read. There's a lot of material, a lot of our blog posts that you can check out and start researching. And of course, uh, then if you get more interested and want to maybe dig even deeper into data, just uh, give us shoot us an email and we figure something out. So that's uh, that's how it all starts. Joel. Tell us your top three tips for gaming marketers, maybe even gaming developers related to these 12 motivations. These motivations and understanding them is becoming more and more important. As everybody knows, it's really competitive market. There's a lot of lots, lots going on. It's harder and harder to get the edge and, and, and in your competitors. And now with the user acquisition getting harder by the day with all the changes uh, we've seen in the past year or so, uh, I think the first and foremost is understanding kind of having, even if it's not our framework, but that's of course, it's a, it's a great start, but understanding and splicing as your target groups based on the motive. So understanding like why they actually play, you can even do surveys to your own group players anyways, to understand why they play, why they churn, for example, that's of course for the game devs. Then if you are in the marketing team, then of course, like I mentioned before, we've seen a lot of good results when the marketing materials from creatives ads, all that is, is tied to the actual gameplay, meaning that they communicate the same or trigger the same motivations that the game actually then adheres to. So working together with the game devs. So not being in your own silos, so market marketers doing the other stuff and, and game devs doing the other things. So being able to work together. And then I would say the third one, I would just say be bold and brave. So in mobile games, what we've seen over the years is that nothing is nothing is impossible in a sense that let's say like, like a competition in match trees or PVP, player player gaming in match three. Four years ago, somebody would have said, oh, it's not going to work. They don't want to do it. Uh, the players hate it. They are not like PUBG or Counter-Strike players. But then if you do it right, uh, all this mi mixing and matching, uh, has proven time after time that it works. So don't be too bound by your own prejudices relating to your subgenre, for example. If you're doing, let's say, word games, take a look at what other casual games are doing. Even better, take a look what mid-core games are doing and see if there's something that you can use to help you uh, make an even better game. Like if you look at Porex, like the hardcore strategy genre, what they have been doing in terms of motivations and kind of introducing new mechanics to new, more casual audiences is that they have like, like large mobile, for instance, one of the most successful forex games, they have um, tower defense or line defense play mode, which is really easy to approach, much easier to approach than like the forex army building and worldwide PVP. So that way they are able to kind of catch more casual players 
early on to the game and be interested about the game, whilst also offering those hardcore strategic players some casual, more easy, laid-back stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe those three. A little long answer, but I hope that I helps. think he's telling game marketers to play more games, Peggy. Play more games? And, <laughs> and another thing that resonates here, right? Push the boundaries, mash it up. Think, you know, don't be limited. I think that's the most inspiring message here. And certainly, if we're going to stay with motivations, John, then I am motivated to have him back at some point to tell us about live ops. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm motivated. To, I'm motivated to figure out, you know, a player profile based on these mm-hmm. 12 parameters and doing a Myers-Briggs of players. I actually am. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I don't know where I'm going to take that, but I think that would be a cool project maybe it's even a book project we should do together peggy i'm just thinking out loud this is insanity who knows but wouldn't it be kind of cool the myers briggs of mobile players i don't know it's maybe that's a cool lane. and the timing timing john timing just as joel said <laughs> i mean this is now the time you really have to engage your audiences there is no way around it nailing that player persona if you will so yeah absolutely and building the right game for them Joel, this has been a ton of fun. Um, You know, while we're having fun, we're laughing and we're actually creating new ideas as we're having conversations. It's a good conversation. Thank you so much. It's 7 p.m., actually 7.30 p.m., your time in Finland and you're still in the office. What a trooper. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Absolutely awesome conversation. And thank you to all listeners. We really do appreciate you. Hope you're enjoying it. Let us know on social if you are. And let us know if you want to come and we'll have you on the show. If you're a mobile hero or you know of someone who is, then fill out the interest form over at shorturl.at forward slash JKSKT. Also, Liftoff has a Slack for mobile heroes and people in the mobile ecosystem. There's a link on the screen, and if you're listening to the podcast, it's at info.liftoff.io slash slack dash sign up. It's pretty cool. There's smart people there, and you know what? They probably need you too. And you have probably been completely blown away by all the insights on this show, and you want your transcript, and you can have it because the transcripts are over at Liftoff's website. Go to liftoff.io, click on Heroes, and then click on Podcast. I actually personally love transcripts because I read way faster than people talk. So that's a great way to get insights really, really quickly. Until next time, this is John Kutz here. Thank you so much for joining. And this is Peggy Ann Saltz signing off for Mobile Heroes Uncensored. <laughs>